Okay, we're in a series about the church. We call it the big church, not because our church is big, but the church is big, a couple billion strong right now around the world. Today's topic is big drift, and we've been trying to answer the question in part, how did the church survive the first century? Does it make sense? A little group of people in the Roman Empire uh, that weren't uh, Romans, they weren't even Gentiles, um, in conflict with the religious leaders of the religion of that area, which would be Judaism. Um, once they started causing commotion, they were on the, the wrong side of the Roman Empire. So, against the Jewish faith, against the Roman Empire, small group of people, and yet grew to be what we call the big church of today. How in the world did it happen? In fact, it was based on a ridiculous premise by most people. And that was this guy named Jesus. Roman Empire killed him, and then he came back to life. If I was to tell you somebody I knew <laughs> died and came back to life, anybody going to believe me? Nobody's going to believe that, right? Especially outside of Judaism, which is where we're going to go today with today's story. So he said the church started as a movement. It continues to be a movement. It's not a building. It's not an organization. And it was launched by a specific event that big R word, <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus. He died three days later. He resurrected. Within a couple of weeks, the church grew to about 10% of the population of Jerusalem. So can you imagine if it sprang up to 10% of, of Hagerstown, or much less 10% of Baltimore or Washington or some larger city? Very quickly, though, because of the opposition of these two groups, they were persecuted. The apostles, the Gentiles, uh, Disciples, they were first they were persecuted. Then, quote unquote, laymen, people that weren't religious leaders, one by the name of Stephen, got actually killed. And so he's considered the first martyr of the church. And then somebody was watching Stephen get, get martyred, and he decided this was going to be his life goal to stamp out what he considered this, this uh, heresy, this cult growing out of Judaism. He was a Jew. His name was Saul. In fact, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious, very religious person. And so he made it his goal in life to stamp this out. So this goes on for about three years. And uh, the believers in Jerusalem spread out into the, to the countryside. And so he is traveling to Damascus, for example, to, to hunt down and arrest these quote-unquote, followers of the way. Well, dramatic encounter with Jesus. He was blinded by this light. Jesus spoke to him. And the strongest defender of Judaism and opponent to Christian flip-flops and all of a sudden now using all his energy and all his passion to spread what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Um, so that's where we're going to pick up the story. So, about 10 years, Paul disappears, and then he begins what we call his missionary journeys. So we'll put on the screen his first missionary journey. Didn't travel as far as he later did, but you can see where he traveled. And in these different towns, he would speak in the synagogue, and then he would speak to the non-Jewish people, and he would, they would form what we call ecclesias, or little churches, and he would go from town to town. Eventually, he'd come back and visit them. He would write letters to some of them. 
But this is where he traveled on his first missionary journey. So then he arrives back in Antioch. When he gets back to Antioch, a controversy has sprung up in Jerusalem, back at the center of, uh, of this thing called the Way. By the way, in Antioch is the first time that people are called Christians, is in Antioch. So, <clears throat> this controversy springs up, and it's relevant because, not the specifics, but the broader concept of this uh, controversy has gone on for years, century after century, in the church. The church has been dealing with, battling, wrestling with this type of controversy for 2,000 years. So what was it? Well, let me give you kind of some summation of it. It's who should be or could be part of the church. So how good do you have to be to let you in? Or how many rules do you have to keep to let you in? Or how much of your lifestyle do you have to change to let you in? And the controversy was, back in Jerusalem, that you had to become Jewish first, and then you could add Christianity onto it. But what did we talk about last week? What was the bottom line of the gospel, according to Paul? Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised, and he was seen. Is there anything about becoming Jewish in there? No, there's nothing about becoming Jewish there. Now, back then as well as today, some people feel like they're not good enough. I'm sure you've talked to people. Maybe you have friends or relatives. Well, I'm just not good enough, or I don't want to be good enough, don't want to change to be good enough to be part of the church. On the other side, though, isn't, put this on your outline. Sorry we don't have copies. The printer's not working. Uh, isn't it part of Christianity? Isn't part of Christianity a moral standard? Some do's and don'ts. Don't we hold ourselves to a higher standard than most people? And most of us would say, yes, we act a little different, talk a little different, maybe even dress a little bit different, uh, possibly eat a little bit different. Certainly Jews did. So, this resulted in a conflict, a controversy. So, what was the specific requirement? And for us today, it's going to seem kind of silly. So, you've got to put yourself in context. But before we get there, Jesus says something that I can't explain it, but I know it's true. And this is the beginning of the Gospel of John. John wrote this. He said, now the Word, or Jesus, became flesh. God left heaven, took on a body, took up residence among us, hung out with us. We saw His glory, the glory of the one and only, now here's the phrase, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. 100% grace and 100% truth. Now, we can't fathom that. We can't figure out how to do that. We try and find a balance, don't we? You know, I'll be gracious up to this point. After this point, you know, these are these rules you've got to follow. And it's a different place for all of us, but we can't comprehend or we can't manage to do, be full of grace and full of truth. But Jesus had no problem with this, <laughs> and he exemplified that. Another way of saying it's this. Forgiveness isn't dumbed down, but grace isn't dumbed down. We're 100% gracious, but we're also 100% behind forgiveness. So we're going to look at, we've been looking at part of the Bible called the book of Acts. 
A lot of people read the Gospels. I don't know how many people read the book of Acts, but it's the history of the early church. And we're going to get to the 15th chapter, which we call the first business meeting. Churches have had business meetings since the first century. And if people want to go back to a first century church, well, you're still going to have to have a business meeting. And they always don't go so well. This one actually went pretty well. Now, let me warn you, the topic's a little PG-13 this morning, all right? Give you that warning. It's in the Bible, though. So Acts 15. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, came back from this missionary journey, some men from Judea down in Jerusalem arrived and began to teach the believers. Here it is. Unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, Old Testament, you cannot be saved. Okay, let me get this straight. If I want to be saved, if I'm going to be forgiven by God, if I want to enter into the church, eternity with God, male, if I'm a male, I've got to have surgery? That's what you're telling me? So I got thinking about this. New members class for basically women and children at this point. Not too many men are going to be in that membership class. They're just not Jew, uh, non-Jewish men. They're basically saying you've got to join the Moses Club before you can join the Jesus Club. Now, were Paul and Barnabas teaching this? Because they're the ones that were out amongst the non-Jewish population in the Roman Empire. So, consequently, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. That's this translation. The original Greek says it this way, no little argument. We could say it was a big argument, right? No, no little argument about this issue. So finally, what do they do? The church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, back where these folks came from, accompanied by some of the local believers. My, I'm imagining these are male Gentile believers that aren't circumcised, going back with them, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So this wasn't a little deal or no deal. This was a big, big deal. Potential to split the church between Gentiles and Jewish believers back in the first century. Text goes on. <clears throat> when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done to them. So, hey, Paul, Barnabas, great to see you. Tell us about all the cool things that God's been doing to you folks as you've traveled around. <clears throat> now, were they telling those folks about circumcision? So, now we've got a mixed message. Do we need it? Don't we need it? Are we going to require this? Is this going to be a, I have to, to get into the church? Now, getting into the church and getting into God's family are two different things, right? But what they were saying, you need this to get into God's family. Text goes on. Then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up. Now, this is fascinating to me, right? Who were the Pharisees? Well, they were these very religious Jewish um, people that memorized large portions of Scripture. That Their 24-7 job was to be good, but they were also the people that killed Jesus. Remember? And they were also the people that, that persecuted the early church. But some of them 
believed that Jesus truly was the Messiah, so they joined the way. So they stood up. The Gentile converts must be circumcised as required and required to follow the law of Moses. So now we just added the whole Old Testament. You've got to be Jewish to become a Jesus follower. See, these, these Gentiles were the bad guys in the New Testament, right? They're the ones that butted head with Jesus. Judaism had 613 laws, rules, all right? So, okay, you want to become a Christian. Here are the 16, 613 things you got to do. Now, before we get too, too tough on them, the church has always had the version, a version of this. Depending on what dom domination you come from, what part of the world you come from, if you want to be part of the church, you've got to, quote, unquote, do this, or quote, unquote, do that. Very rarely do you see it as simplified as we talked about earlier. So, what are they going to do? Got this controversy, got this argument, really. So, the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. Their little business meeting. Text goes on. This wasn't a short meeting. <laughs> After a long discussion, which is fine, everybody needs to express their opinion, try and figure out what's best to do, Peter stood up. Now, Peter is like the head, right? If you're Catholic, you consider him the first pope. Peter stood up and addressed him. He said, brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. So we'll go back about 10 years previous, and the book of Acts, the story we skipped, was God sent Peter to some Gentiles. Now, Peter really resisted. You ever tell God no? That's what Peter did. God said, go to the Gentile. And he said, no, I, I can't do that. Finally, he went, and Cornelius and his household were saved. Text goes on, of course. Peter's, Peter's speaking. He says, God knows people's hearts. Now, here's the issue. Do you know people's hearts? Do I know people's hearts? Can I see your heart? I can't. God can, but I can't. All I can see is what you do, how you act, what you say. So, he said, God knows people's hearts. He knows Gentiles' hearts. And he confirmed that he accepted Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. So the Gentiles got the same Holy Spirit. The uncircumcised Gentiles got the same Holy Spirit that we have, just as we did to us. He, meaning God, make no distinction between us and them. He cleansed their hearts through faith. Okay? God said they were in. God demonstrated that they're in by giving them the Holy Spirit. But don't they have all these nasty Gentile habits? All these things that go against all these Jewish laws and rules? Peter goes on. So why are you now challenging God? How? By burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. 
can imagine. Uh, hey, George, didn't I see you going to the temple and giving your sin offering? Must have not kept some, some, some law. John, didn't you just go to the temple and offer some offering, forgiveness offering, because you broke some law? So what is he saying? He's saying, we've got these 613 laws that none of us keep. We're breaking them all the time. So why are we going to expect these people that didn't grow up Jewish, that don't even have all this background, to try and learn these and follow these all their lives, all of a sudden they just dump all these rules on them? We don't keep them. Why are we expecting them to keep them? We believe that we are all saved the same way, don't we? Yeah, by the undeserving, oh, it's interesting, undeserving grace. Grace is not deserved in the first place, right? So undeserved, undeserved. But undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. So what are we saying? Well, God purifies the inside. God purifies the life, the heart, the spirit, the soul, before you and I purify or, or straighten up the outside life, right? We all had nasty habits before we came to Jesus, and probably most of us still have nasty habits after we came to Jesus. But it's got to be full of grace and full of truth. So what do we do with this truth part? Text goes on. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about all the miraculous signs and wonders God had done to the them among the Gentiles. They're talking about, hey, you know, we, we heal these people and this, peop this, this got done and this church sprang up and they're, they're feeding people and helping people and helping the sick and so forth. All these wonderful things that are happening with these non-circumcised Gentiles. So when they had finished, James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Now, who's James? James is the brother, half-brother of Jesus, right? And as we said before, Probably the strongest evidence that Jesus was who he said he was is James. I've got a couple of brothers. If they tried to tell me they were Jesus, the Messiah, I'd laugh them out of the house. So would you, right? Any of you got brothers? We don't know anything about James during the Gospels. So he saw Jesus going around, performing miracles and teaching. Nothing about James becoming a Jesus follower at that point. <laughs> then we find in the book of Acts, James was a leader in the church. I guess if you see your brother die and then resurrected, you tend to believe it, right? So James was a leader in the church. And he preaches a little sermonette, uses some of a passage of the Old Testament, and then he gets to the end. Here's the summation of his little talk. And so my judgment, I think we need to do. And I'm kind of the leader here, so it should hold some, some weight with you folks. That we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We shouldn't burden them. In fact, we're celebrating national freedom. We mentioned in the video, greater freedom than that is spiritual freedom, right? So coming to Christ brings freedom. It doesn't bring a burden. And the way I like to think about it is this. Isn't the gospel about people? It's not about rules. It's about outreach, people that are lost without Christ, are dying in their sins, coming to know Christ and being set free from the penalty and the burden of sin. Oh, but, but what about, isn't it going to weaken the morals? 
100% truth, 100% grace. How do we do that? So he said, goes on, and stood instead. Now, this next part is going to be fascinating. If you were going to say, okay, I think there's two or three things these folks ought to do, these Gentile believers, I would almost guarantee you all but one of these things we would not include. So somebody's recording this. Business meetings have secretaries, right? Somebody's recording this. James is talking. He says, instead, we should write and tell them, here we go, abstain from eating food offered to idols. We don't even know if our food is offered to idols, do we? It doesn't concern us. Sexual immorality, that's one that might concern us today. It should concern us. From eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. They're kind of linked together. Why, when you're consuming blood, when you eat meat that's, not str- that's been strangled and not um, killed in a, in a kosher manner. So, whether you call it three or four things. Is circumcision on the list? Not on the list, right? What is he basically saying? Don't offend your Jewish brothers and sisters. Part of the church was Jewish, former Jewish, part were Gentiles. These things don't bother you, but they bother them. He goes on, for these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So this is ingrained in your Jewish brothers and sisters, right? So let's just be sensitive to things that bother other people. We would say that today, right? We wouldn't have the same list, but we'd say it today. So, this is recorded. It's going to be sent back to Antioch, right? So here's what they include in the letter. Repeats it. Seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Notice Holy Spirit first. It's good with Him. should be good with us, right? To lay no greater burden on, the, on you, people and Gentile Christians, then these few requirements, few. Staying from eating food offered to idols, consuming blood or meat, strangled animals, sexual immorality. If you do this, you do well. Pharaoh. So, Paul and Barnabas and the other guys take this letter back to the church in Antioch. <clears throat> they went at once to Antioch where they called a general meeting, another business meeting of the believers, and delivered a letter. Now, what do you think the response is going to be? The guys are sitting there, I wonder what's going to be in there. Is the surgery going to be required? And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Yeah, we should be insensitive to our brothers and sisters. This circumcision and following all those rules, that's not required. So we try and split between truth and grace. And Jesus says, no, it's full of grace, full of truth. Now, like I said, this has been an ongoing issue from the church from day one to the present day. So I want to give you a couple of things that we as a church need to avoid. I call it drifts. Drifts. First one is this. Drift toward insiders away from outsiders. This is only normal. This is only natural. You are the folks that are here. You're the folks that give the money. We have the squeaky wheel. Uh, you're the ones that complain <laughs> about things. 
And so it's really easy to get focused in on us because of all those things. Shouldn't the church be like, I want? Shouldn't the church do what I want? They're outsiders. And so, how do we avoid this? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Action step, pray for boldness, specifically outside, with outsiders. When you pray for boldness, you see opportunities to share um, with unbelievers. Interesting thing that's been happening to me, most of you know, I've been a trail runner for a lot of years. I've got a bad knee now, so now I'm hiking, I guess you'd call it, walking. Now, in the past, running, I might say, hey, how are things going as I run past somebody this way or that way? But now, guess what? I walk alongside people now. So I'm beginning to meet people and talk to people. I met a young lady from Philadelphia. Her name was was Honey. I asked her her name in the second, twice, because I don't know anybody named Honey, but that's what she said her name was. And so I, I started these conversations. And before long, they find out I'm a pastor, of course. But anyway, I asked her name. I said, I want to pray for you, and uh, et cetera. And I, nobody's asked, you know, more information yet. But I'm, praying, I'm still praying for these people by name. I met a guy uh, from Florida, an older guy, older, old like me. And uh, we even exchanged, infor- exchanged cell phone numbers. And so I'm, I'm planting seeds. I have opportunities. In the past, I don't think I would have done that because I, I would just said, hi, how are you doing? How are things going? So pray for boldness. And you will, and I will be more focused on outsiders, not only on insiders. Another drift we've got to avoid is the drift toward law and away from grace, toward rules and away from grace, categories, away from grace. So if you're going to err on one side or the other, you tell me, what side would you say we need to err on? Go ahead, speak up. Grace. All right, good answer. Good answer. We got the same answer in the first service. So that's your action step. Err on the side of grace. When you have that tension, when, you have, when you're wrestling with something. Okay, if I'm going to err, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'm going to make a mistake in grace. You know why that was a good answer? I put this on your outline. Aren't you glad that God erred on the side of grace with you? Sometime in a, Those of you Jesus follower, if you're not, we're glad you're, you're participating and here or, or, or watching or listening. God heart heard the cry of our hearts as we cried out to him, and he responded. He didn't say, hey, you've got to stop doing that or you've got to start doing this, you've got to change that. Forgive me of my sins. I believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And God says, come on in. That's all it takes. I like to think about it this way. Have conversations instead of condemnation. Because when you have rules, what happens? You're not following the rules. Shame on you. Great example of this in Scripture, John chapter 8. These guys bring this woman to Jesus who's been caught in adultery. She couldn't deny it. She was caught, all right? She should be stoned. Now, they didn't really want to stone her. They just wanted to get Jesus to make a mistake. And so Jesus says, "Uh, well, any of you without sin... We just talked about Jews how to keep going to the temple because they kept sinning, right? So anybody without sin, 
you throw the first stone. So eventually they're all gone. There's no, there's no people. There's no crowd. It's just Jesus and this woman. Now the fascinating thing is, does Jesus condemn her? In fact, he said, where are your condemners? And she said, they're all gone. And then he said, neither do I condemn you. Now wait a minute. Realize, this lady just broke one of the big ten, right? Not commit adultery. Jesus said, <laughs> now do we know if she, she confessed? Do we know if she changed her lifestyle after this? No, we don't know any of that. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. I'm going to have a conversation with you. But all I want to tell you is this. This is not a good idea. This is not what's best for you. This is not best, best for people around you. So go and sin no more. Sometimes we say it this way around here. Ministry is messy. It would be so nice if it was just cut and dry, right? You're all on this side, you're all on that side. But it isn't. It's messy. Third drift we've got to avoid is this. The drift toward preserving rather than advancing. I got to think about this church. I wasn't there at the beginning. Tim, you were there. Becky? Um, you started with a vision, right? We want an evangelical church in Smithsburg. It wasn't one there 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago. And so you started with a vision. Didn't have a building, didn't have any money, didn't have anything else. You had a little small group of people. Now, 30 plus years later, we have a building, a pavilion, we've got land, we've got stuff. So it's easy to lose the vision and focus on the stuff. Oh, we got to keep this stuff, defend this stuff. The less vision you have, the more you drift toward preserving. So what can we do? Simple action step. Keep our hands open, open-handed. The way I like to think about it, God gave it, God can do what? Take it away, right? So let me ask you, do you believe, like James believed when he said, we should not make it difficult for non-Jewish people who are turning to God. See, the problem is you passively drift, don't you? The only way not to drift is to be focused. So that's my next step for you this week. Swim hard. Work hard. Be focused against the current to drift, to preserving, to insider, to law. Let me pray. Ah, Father God, we tend to be legalist. We tend to think we're better than other people. We don't do those things that they do or we do things they don't do. Forgive us. And God, I thank you for the vision of this church. I thank you for the vision of the all the churches, of the church. Let's not lose focus. You died for a lost and dying world, not just for us. And that 100% truth, 100% grace, God, we don't know how to do it, but just help us. It's messy. And we want to have that, know where that line is. So help us to have conversations. Help us to know it's about people, it's not about rules. And we pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower, that you, today, for whatever reason, 
Spirit of God has convicted you of your sin and the need for, for salvation and forgiveness. We pray that you would pray that prayer and ask and receive the Holy Spirit like these folks in the first century. God, we thank you for the transforming power of your grace, both from death to life, from being outside the family to inside the family, but also as it transforms us into people more and more like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.